0: In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. That's what censorship has done. That's why I'm suing the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice and the Attorney General. This is not about a family doctor in the trenches of western Carver County. This is about you and me being played, squashed, and censored. And if we don't speak up now, because it isn't affecting us directly, when it does affect you directly, there may be no one at your side to speak up on your behalf. Hi, welcome back to the Dr. Scott Jensen podcast. Today, we're talking about censorship. What is the statement I begin my podcast with each time? George Orwell, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. But I want to say another quote today. I want to share a statement by Evelyn Beatrice Hill. She said this, I may disapprove of what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. Before Rush Limbaugh passed away, I remember watching him speak on the insidious nature of censorship. I think people might ask the question, oh, come on now. Censorship doesn't affect that many people, and maybe they needed to be censored. Maybe it's okay. I would argue with you to my death. I would tell you that censorship isn't simply targeting a speaker, a person, a given individual, or even a narrative. Censorship targets all of us at some point in time. You may recall the Martin Niemöller essay in 1946 when he made the comment that goes something like, when they came for the social socialists, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a socialist. And when they came for the engineers, I didn't speak up because I wasn't an engineer. And When they came for the unionists, not unionists I didn't speak up because I wasn't unionist. When they came for the Jews, I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak up. I can't tell you how compelling those words are and should be for centuries and centuries to come. Recently, we had a big brouhaha at the University of Minnesota about having a Supreme Court Justice come and speak. There were people that wanted that person to not be allowed to come into the state. No way. No way should this Supreme Court justice be allowed because they didn't like her political slant. What do we do? Stand up, back! What do we do? Stand up, back! But did these same protesters realize that the first Supreme Court Justice program that this university process had brought into our state? was a liberal-leaning Supreme Court justice named Ruth Bader Ginsburg. You might think, Scott, that's a little bit in the weeds. It's not that big an issue. I would remind you of the words of Jordan Peterson when he said something about there will be at times a tendency on your part to potentially keep your head down and just shut the hell up. He even grants the audience that that might be, in some situations, a reasonable response. Let's take
1: a look at his video of his words. What's going on with censorship and what should people do about it? If you're in a workplace and pathological things are happening, this is easy, I can tell you how you know if pathological things are happening at your workplace or they're happening with you. One of the two, but you can straighten that out. If you're being required to do things that make you weak and ashamed then stop don't do them like one of the things I learned from Solzhenitsyn and Frankel was that systems go terribly under out of control when people don't stop them when they're going mildly out of control you know and you might say I should just keep my goddamn head down and shut up. It's like, maybe you should. Like, that's not bad advice. You know, you don't want to make unnecessary enemies, and you don't need any more trouble than you need. But you got to ask yourself on a day-to-day basis, what makes you think you're not selling your soul? You know, and there's so much foolishness going on in the mid-level bureaucratic world now. That's where all the tyranny seems to be focused. And, The reason that it multiplies is because sensible people say nothing when they should say something. And what's so strange about that is that there are way more sensible people than people who aren't sensible. They're just not as noisy. So what you'll turn out if like, you know, so let's say something's bugging the hell out of you at work. Well, then you have to prepare to, to find another job. That's the first thing you have to do. I don't think that you should find another job. But you should prepare to find another job. And if possible, you should prepare to find a better job. Because if you can't tell someone to go to hell, then you can't negotiate with them. And if, and if they've got you over a barrel, then you can't say anything. So you've got you to gotta set yourself up so you've got some mobility. And actually, that's a really good principle in your life, period. You should set yourself up so that you have a lateral move at hand. And then you should find out, well, are there things at work that are disturbing my soul? You know, and you find that out, first of all, you ask yourself, okay, I'm disturbed at work, okay, I'm probably weak and deceitful and useless and lazy. You might as well start with that. And then you talk to some people, like your, your wife, your friends, your co-workers, and find out, are you stupid, deceitful and lazy? Or is there something not so good going on at work? And so if you, if you can then eliminate your own personal pathology as a cause of your dissatisfaction, then maybe there's something rotten in the state of Denmark. And maybe you should say something about it before the whole goddamn thing collapses. Because that can happen. It can happen in companies a lot faster than people ever think. You know, and you may find that, well, first of all, you may find if you say something, well, first of all, that's an adventure. That's for sure. That's a bloody adventure. And you have to do it carefully. And and you have to be prepared for it. But it might be the best thing that ever happened to you. And the other thing is, if you're careful about it, you get your words right. Like, and this is a... This is strategic battle, right? It's not something you wander into carelessly. Then you may find that there's lots of people who feel exactly the same way you do, and that you've actually cottoned on to something. You're a canary in a coal mine, and not just some, like, psychopathic mouthpiece. So, you've got to ask yourself when you go and do what you do, like, is this making you stronger, or is this making you weaker? And if it's making you weaker, then you've got to ask yourself, do you really want to be weaker? Because the weaker you get, the more you're tyrannized. And then, worse than that, like, the weaker you get, the more bitter you get. And the more you'll work towards terrible things, the more you'll snap at your wife, the more you'll kick your kids, you know. Like, it's no joke to be tyrannized at work. And so I would say you have an ethical responsibility as a citizen to forthrightly confront creeping tyranny no matter where it occurs. And part of... Part of what we're learning, I would say, from these stories, if we're learning anything at all, is that if you're aimed at the good, which is a question you really got to ask yourself, you know, if you're genuinely aimed at the good, then take heart, because you're a lot stronger than you think. Okay,
0: so you just heard what Jordan Peterson had to say. I want to say a little bit more about what happens when a group of people uncomfortable with a perspective that someone else has says, I don't want to hear that person. Well, what happens is headlines like this, pandemic errors scrutinized, don't get to see the light of day. If we're not willing on both sides of policy questions to hear things that don't necessarily resonate with our perspective, this kind of necessary scrutiny and accountability will not take place. And we're talking about life and death here. We're talking about future pandemics, future policy responses. This kind of a headline has to be able to see the light of day. And if we're shutting down that which we don't want to hear, We're hiding this under a bed in a back room, collecting mold and dust and hope that literally the newspaper just turns to dust. One of the more compelling discussions regarding censorship over the last couple of months involves Dr. Vinay Prasad, P-R-A-S-S-A-D. He was invited to speak to a pharmacy group he was almost begged to speak. He speaks all over the country and sometimes around the world. He travels more than he wants to. He has gone on record as saying this. When he was asked by this pharmacy group to speak and be their keynote speaker, his interest was lukewarm, perhaps at best. But, As he says, human nature responds to flattery, and he was flattered, and he said yes, and together they decided what he would speak on. This is where it gets so important. He was going to speak on the issue of, should medical evidence come with an expiration date? And when I heard him talk about that, I thought, that is so compelling. And one of the comments that he made was, let's talk about how things change. And he made reference to the fact that since the 1980s, over the last 40 years, things have changed in the world. The things that we recommended as doctors in the 1980s, should they still be recommended Now in the 2020s. And he said this in regards to doctors recommending aspirin usage to prevent heart disease. He said, well, since the 1980s, obesity has risen. Cholesterol has dropped. Statin drug use has has risen. What he was saying was, and he also said tobacco use has decreased. So, you drop tobacco use, you drop cholesterol, you increase weight, the world's changed. There was an article recently that indicated that in this state, from 2000 to 2022, the number of people classified as obese has virtually doubled, and it's now one in three Minnesotans. Bottom line is, that phenomenon, along with Decrease tobacco use, increased statin use, that may change whether or not we should recommend aspirin. And you know what? It did change the way we recommend aspirin. We were telling people, if you turn 40, time to get on a baby aspirin a day. Aspirin a day keeps the doctor away, the whole jingle. Until we realized that that's not the case. Now we realize that if we do that to every 40-year-old person, we're going to cause more bleeding ulcers than save heart attacks. Dr. Vinay Prasad was going to talk about whether medical evidence should come with an expiration date. And I don't know what could be more compelling right now for a pharmacy conference than that. Because so often patients go to pharmacists and say, well, this is over the counter. Should I do aspirin? Should I take a supplement? What about vitamin D? Pharmacists are frequently better equipped than physicians to make specific recommendations. And yet, Dr. Vinay Prasad was canceled. His scheduled keynote address to this pharmacy group was canceled because a few people said he's spread reckless misinformation, dangerous misinformation, This conference group had 20,000 members. 50 people were enough to shut this down. Some of those people that wanted to censor Dr. Prasad weren't even members of this pharmacy conference group. Dr. Prasad has hundreds of thousands of people who follow him on social media. When this happens, when you shut down a talented speaker who has spoken at Harvard and Stanford and acclaimed universities across the land, when you shut them down, you make this likelihood shrink and you deny freedom of speech to millions of Americans. And remember, this isn't just about Dr. Prasad. This is targeting you. Because you don't get to know what Dr. Prasad would say about medical evidence. I've had the chance to recently get involved with a new initiative called Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. Dr. Jordan Peterson, as mentioned before, has spoken to a lot of issues, but he is critically involved with this initiative. And there's a quote on one of the emails I received from them by the French philosopher Joseph de Maistre. And he says, every country has the government it deserves. Let's unpack that. What he's basically saying is that we're responsible for the government that governs our lives. Censorship is, through the last three and a half years, reached new levels. We can talk about lockdowns and lockouts and lock-ins, and we can talk about overdiagnosing various maladies, because if you do that, there may be some sort of follow the money phenomenon that goes on. We can talk about immunity and natural immunity. We can talk about goalposts moving. We can talk about flawed models. We can talk about whether or not masks do what they were supposed to do. We can talk about the epidemic of fear. We can talk about the expansion of government. We can talk about the lack of transparency. But at the end of the day, when we talk about censorship, we have to talk about tyranny. And we have to ask ourselves, where is that tyranny? Well, I'll tell you this, it's darned hard to root it out. I would say, as I said in the book that I wrote, we've been played, that exposing the triad of tyranny is important. Big tech, big pharma, big government. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't, and you know it. It certainly includes mainstream media. If more than 80% of mainstream media sources are on one side of the political aisle, We can certainly expect some tyranny coming from that group. When it comes to health care, how in the world could we not identify profiteering insurance companies as a source of tyranny as patients try to do the best job they can to champion their own health care, take those medicines that might be life-saving, not take the medicines that may have very little benefit for them? All of these are sources of tyranny. And I would, at the risk of sounding controversial, I would say there's another tyranny, another source of tyranny that we sometimes forget. And I think that that source of tyranny frequently is, if you will, the majority. Oftentimes in this country, the majority can be guilty of being tyrannical to minorities. And that's a problem. But it can go the other way too. If a small minority thinks that they can determine how the majority behaves. They can be their own tyrants. Specifically in the world of politics that I've been involved with a little bit, I would say that oftentimes, established, wealthy, white males can be tyrannical. I think oftentimes their tyranny will be disguised as altruism. Sometimes. Their tyranny is born not of any specific expertise whatsoever, just money. I think we have to be on the lookout for all forms of tyranny. Because tyranny is what allows censorship to happen. Tyranny frequently actually is that energy that commands that censorship happen. Bob Harrington was the Stanford Medicine Chair. And he basically instructed professors in the Department of Internal Medicine to clam up, to stop giving interviews that might be perceived as contrary to the conventional narrative during the COVID pandemic. Bob Harrington now is the president of the University of Cornell, But before he left Stanford, he left in his wake some remarkable nuggets of what the censorship looked like. Harrington says this in a comment to Dr. J. Buttacharya, I've been told by my own superiors that we don't want to be responsible for muting people's speech. That's what he said. And yet, later on, Harrington emailed Dr. Buddhacharya and another doctor demanding that they stop giving public interviews and stop talking with the press. So on one hand, he's saying that he's been told by his superiors that we don't want to be responsible for muting people's speech. And on the other hand, he's demanding that Dr. J. Buddhacharya and Dr. Ben David Stop giving public interviews and talking with the press. That hits pretty close to home for me. When I was in the Senate, and subsequently when I ran to be the next governor of Minnesota, I experienced something I never experienced before. I've practiced nearly 40 years and never been investigated by the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice. But since 2020, I've been investigated six different times. I'm grateful and pleased to report that about six months ago, all the allegations and all the charges and all the investigations were closed and dismissed. But what troubled me deeply was I was censored. My voice was censored, muted, squashed. Basically, by people who never met me, never received healthcare services from me, people who didn't like what I had to say. Do you remember Evelyn Beatrice Hill? I may disapprove of what you say, but I would defend to the death your right to say it. I want to live my life, according to Ms. Hill's comments. I never want to do that. I have been asked, Doc. Did you have any desire to retaliate? When they were coming at you, people who had never known you, doctors who had never known you, ridiculing you, calling you out on social media, demanding that your medical license be removed, did you ever have any interest in retaliating? It passed my mind I'd be lying if I said it didn't. Could I have? (laughs) You think there aren't other physicians in the legislature? that I could write out some bogus complaint that would necessitate the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice investigating that? I refuse to do it. This is a slippery slope. This is a slope that has caused brilliant people to speak out against it on both sides of the aisle. We're at a crossroads. The First Amendment basically identifies five freedoms, speech, press, religion, assemble, and petition. I am astonished that we're in the space we're in. When I am censored, you are censored. I don't know how a patient can really enjoy the benefits of informed consent without physicians being able to speak freely about what that procedure or recommendation involves, what might be the benefits and the risks, how does the physician make certain that the consent provided by the patient is voluntary, none of this happens in a bubble of censorship. It can't. So if I'm censored as a physician, you're censored as a patient. If I'm being played as a physician, let me tell you, you're being played as a patient. If I'm being played as a potential public servant running for election, you as a voter are being played and censored just as much. I don't think I've ever spent so much time as the last three and a half years thinking about how is it that a government agency can be weaponized? Now I... Don't have to. Ask myself too many deep questions to understand that. If you're a physician, a restaurateur, hairstylist, nurse, if you have any kind of a livelihood that's based on some sort of certification from the government, whether it's the structure in which you work, whether it's the services you provided, is it registration, is it licensure, whatever, you are susceptible. You are susceptible to a weaponized agency. Censorship to me is probably the most important topic of discussion that's going to come out of COVID 19. We have seen, for the last three and a half years, good, solid healthcare research kicked under the bus for no other reason than it didn't match up with the narrative that had been decided by the demigods that be, that it would be the only narrative allowed. I want to talk in my closing comments about a thing called the Great Barrington Declaration. This was a document that is not some polarizing, bellicose, booklet or pamphlet, this is literally a couple of pages of a recommendation as to how America could deal with the COVID pandemic that was put forth in the first six months of the pandemic policies. Three authors diligently worked on putting this together. And do you know what they base this thing on? They based it on research that had taken place for decades, but especially the 20 years of research that had taken place since 2002 when SARS-CoV-1 virus was identified on planet Earth. This was a document that laid out how do we go about protecting a society, protecting a planet from something that hasn't been encountered before from something that might have an infectious fatality rate beyond that which we've ever seen with simple RNA respiratory viruses. But this document tapped into two decades of research and placed it right alongside of what we had seen during the preceding six months. It's absolutely worth reading and digesting. But this document became literally the target of censorship by Tony Fauci and Dr. Collins. As if this was some horrific, barbaric tome that was going to turn America upside down. What it would have done had we strongly considered it. Instead of squashing it and censoring it, what it would have done is it would have helped us put our focus on precision protection of those who were most susceptible to the COVID 19 virus the frail elderly, the immune compromised. We would have been able to keep livelihoods in place. We would not have had to have the unbelievable rise. In mental health issues, not just in our teenagers and our young people, but in our middle-aged people and in our seniors. We took a population of seniors, many of them, who had fought for our country in World War II and after. And we said, you don't get have a normal life. You don't get to have your loved ones be with you. The ability for you to receive your medications correctly and consistently will be compromised by our policies and you don't get to change them. You don't get to hold the hand of the person you've been sharing your life with for the last 50 years. You don't get to have your son or daughter come in and make sure that things are okay. You may have to lie on your stool and urine for hours at a time because we don't have the staffing to necessarily respond to your call light when it goes off or necessarily come to your assistance when an accident has occurred. That's what we did to the frail elderly and to the workforce of America. We absolutely obliterated you. We divided you. We fractured you. We put people in situations where we said, you got to work from home, whether you like it or not. We took physicians and said, we expect you to take good care of patients remotely through telemedicine without the ability to put your stethoscope on their chest and to detect a new heart murmur, an irregular rhythm, an pneumonia. We literally turned our society upside down. Over and over again, this is what policies did. And the Great Barrington Declaration said, hold it. Can we just press pause here? Because if we provide laser-focused protection to the audience or the group of people that are most susceptible, we can allow the great remainder of our lives, educating kids, protecting kids from abuse, having livelihoods go forward continuing an economy, not interrupting our supply chains. Do you remember barge upon barge, container ship upon container ship lined up well out into the Pacific ocean out of Los Angeles? Do you remember how many supply chains were interrupted? Do you remember how many medicines were no longer on the pharmacist's shelves because they weren't being produced? We had a shortage of this, and we had a shortage of this, and we had a shortage of th- These are things that, that, ha- that happened and didn't have to happen. We had a Great Barrington Declaration that piggybacked on top of two decades of research and made common sense recommendations. And whether or not you agree with it, it should have been a part of the discussion in the public square. Because at the end of the day, what the Great Barrington Declaration did was it addressed life and death issues. When the Great Barrington Declaration was dismissed in favor of draconian policy decisions, people died. I'm not going to talk today about why all-cause mortality is still dramatically elevated even as the COVID pandemic has been judged to be absent by the President of the United States. I'm not going to talk today about why is it that insurance companies are calling out the very real demographic information that says that people between 30 and 60 are dying or going on disability like never before. They're calling the phenomenon of collecting on insurance policies something that hasn't happened in centuries. That's a conversation for another day. But today, when we see the Great Barrington Declaration, and we see insurance companies, and we see thoughtful physicians who ask the question, should medical information and medical practice have an expiration date, we've got to recognize that we have a problem. My last closing example of what Dr. Prasad was trying to do when he would talk to a pharmacy conference about the notion of an expiration date on medical practice. I have my own. I have mentioned to patients for many, many years. That I have never seen a study that re-examines the question, once we hit the age of 50 or 60, do we still need a tetanus shot every 10 years, a booster? We received five in our first five years, perhaps, and then we received a tetanus shot every 10 years for five decades. I've never seen a study examining whether or not one more booster will provide any real benefit, measurable benefit, to the person receiving it. That's what Dr. Prasad was talking about. When we have a medical practice, when we do something over and over again, when is it that we might press pause and say, hey, maybe this doesn't make sense anymore. In the medical field, we certainly did it with aspirin. We did it with eggs. Remember when you couldn't eat eggs? And now you can eat eggs. We've done this over and over again. I think that all of this put together, the COVID-19 policies, the dismissal of the Great Barrington Declaration, the voices like Dr. Vinay Prasad, Dr. Bhattacharya, the voice of a Supreme Court justice who wants to sit down with students and faculty and interested people and talk about how does the highest court in our land function? When these voices are squashed, when these voices are squashed, the words of George Orwell come back to us. And you know what those words are. In a time of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. That's what censorship has done. That's why I'm suing the Minnesota Board of Medical Practice and the Attorney General. This is not about a family doctor in the trenches of western Carver County. This is about you and me being played, squashed, and censored. And if we don't speak up now, because it isn't affecting us directly, when it does affect you directly, there may be no one at your side to speak up on your behalf. And so I've spent a fair amount of time discussing the Great Barrington Declaration. I would encourage you, Great Barrington, B-A-R-R-I-N-G-T-O-N Declaration, Great Barrington Declaration, in the Google box. It'll pop up it'll take you less than five minutes to read it. I'm proud to say that I believe I was the first physician in Minnesota to sign it. I think I signed it within the first four hours of knowing that it was out there. So, before I close, I just want to remind you, if you want to come to our website, see what else we have to say, get updates on our lawsuits, just go to drscottjensen.com. My book's available at drscottjensenbook.com. Hopefully you'll join me again at our next podcast, because I just want to reiterate, this is a podcast about real life issues, kitchen table issues. You're going to hear us talk over and over again about safety. What does accountable government look like? What does freedom look like at every level for parents, for patients, in the world of health, in the world of economy? Do you get to have your own livelihood? We're going to talk about education. What have we done to our kids in grade schools, high schools, but also beyond high school? And at the end of the day, we're always going to have a sharp focus on where are the sources of tyranny. And for today, tyranny obviously is a big part of censorship.